It's nine minutes now before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. And it's our wrap of the top business stories. And to help us take a look at some of the big stories in the world of business, I'm joined on the line by Yabandile Matandela, who is a market analyst. Mdaga Matandela, good evening to you and welcome. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, man. Hey, the line yako. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Bandila, are you still there? Um, hello, Aya. Yes, I can hear you now. Yeah, yeah. Bandila, I want us maybe let's start off there with the banks. Nedbank yeah. uh, joins the likes of APSA and many others in, uh, I guess, uh, increasing their impairments, which uh, really speaks about, I guess, the uh, challenges uh, around debt service and, uh, you know, some of the defaults they've experienced during this COVID-19 moment. Uh, but uh, even after they got the green light to pay some dividends, uh, from the uh, banking regulator. It seems many banks, I guess, anticipating a third wave and uh, probably uh, looking for capital preservation rather than maybe paying out some of those profits. Yeah, which which probably makes sense, right? Particularly because, you know, you know in as much as the, the, the outlook for 2021 is more positive mm-hmm. with a lot of sort of um, banks as well as the Reserve Bank actually projecting um, that we might see growth but I think there remains, uh, you know, that uncertainty, and especially with this third wave that's sort of been uh, people talking about that's looming. Um, it, uh, for me, it would make sense for the banks to just hold on to capital um, in case, of course, there's further impairments that they need to to do this year, and and and, and, and perhaps a- any other investments that might be on the cards. But I think for me, it definitely makes sense, you know, with NetBank, of course, joining APSA who also announced um, this week that they will not be declaring a dividend. So for me, no, no surprises there. Um, I, was, I, was, I was surprised to see those Standard Bank and First Rand opting to pay that dividend. But uh, from a net bank perspective, definitely no, no, no surprises there. I mean, we know that their revenue fell, uh, their headline earnings fell, you know, their profit fell by almost mm. half. You know, so I think for me, definitely no surprises. Um, they're choosing to play the safe option and hold on to capital to see what the um, 2021 um, has in store for us. Bandila, what informs their optimistic assessment of, um, you know, the short and medium term outlook? I mean, we heard them coming out and saying, look, you know, they expect the outlook for the South African economy to be promising, uh, seeing a, a you know firmer recovery in consumer spending and uh, also seeing on the business front of thing a rebuilding of inventories in many firms. Um, I mean, I, I guess the, there's always this question, does one uh, swallow make a summer? Um, and I'm, you know, probably a lot more pessimistic than maybe, uh, you know, Davies and his team at NetBank might be. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of these projections for me and from what I can, uh, I can see um, I, uh, are all based on sort of this, you know, this vaccine rollout, you know, as the world sort of, gets into proper mode with the vaccine rollout in South Africa as well. I think there's an anticipation that um, we'll begin to sort of begin to, 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 to see or move past um, the pandemic, you know, and um, perhaps they're not anticipating any further lockdowns that, of course, have had quite a significant impact on, on the economy. So I think for me, probably at the basis and the core of it is that vaccine rollout. But I mean, we 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 all can see now, or we've we've been reading and seeing that it, it doesn't seem to be going as fast as we would have anticipated it to. So perhaps this move not to declare dividends and hold capital is also indicative of the fact that as much as they they're projecting a positive outlook for 2021, there's still mm-hmm. that uncertainty that remains 
that should things not go according to plan, they know they, they, they then they know that they've got a plan B. But I think at the core of, of these projections is just the vaccine rollout because people are anticipating that with the rollout of the vaccine, it would mean that we've probably moved past the, 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 the sort of the hectic stages mm-hmm. of the pandemic. But again, you know, it's very difficult to tell. And, um, you know, there's, 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 I know there's delays around the, 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 the procurement of some of these vaccines. So I think for me, um, probably at the core of that is the vaccine rollout, which mm-hmm. then would mean that the economy probably is more there's more activity and um, we then hopefully see a turnaround again it's probably a situation of because we're coming from such a bad situation any any positive change is going to be seen quite as, as, as very good at this point and might not necessarily reflect the pre-covid um uh, situation mm-hmm. but i think for me at the back of it all is probably the vaccine rollout yeah yeah definitely and i guess uh, you know if you look at the pace and the scale of that rollout um uh, uh, probably many of those business people wouldn't be as optimistic as, uh, as some at Nedbank have been. Uh, but let's shift away from the banking sector and uh, head to the world of e-hailing. Now, uh, that landmark judgment uh, coming through yep. over the last while, uh, effectively, uh, and uh, I guess overnight, uh, creating what many would have seen as contractors and making of them employees who are entitled to certain types of benefits, severance pay and the like. Um, and uh, yeah, Uber... Effectively, uh, this is going to be affecting 70,000 of their drivers. Um, wh- what is this going to mean for the model of Uber? I mean, which, which has always, I guess, prided itself on a very lean, low-cost model uh, that has been, uh, I guess, very attractive to, um, you know, to the consumer, largely on that price point, but also, of course, uh, all of the other elements of convenience. Yeah, I think I think quite a precedent-setting judgment, you know. And, um, I mean, although at this point... It still pertains to the UK only, you know, as you rightfully said, the 70,000 employees that um, drivers that have been affected, which will then uh, entitle them to some of the benefits, you know, minimum wage, vacation pay, pension plans and all of that. I think for me, it's quite significant, right, because that will immediately see the costs um, from an Uber perspective rising. It will obviously change their business model and possibly set a set precedence with other countries that might possibly then, um, I know California with the U.S. have already uh, initiated some of the, um, the, 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 some, some of the legal processes on that front. What we might begin to see is a lot more countries moving towards this particular direction. You know, uh, historically, um, the, the, the drivers have not been regarded as employees. You know, this, this, this judgment for me is quite, is quite huge and it's going to cause a lot of shift with regards to Uber. And I think what we might possibly see from a consumer side is that as those costs um, increase from an Uber perspective, we might see the, some of these being passed on to consumers and quite possibly um, maybe to the drivers as well. You know, I think Uber now is at a, in a very interesting position and they're going to have to rethink a lot around their company because mm-hmm. this really speaks to the core of their business model and they're going to have to alter and change that significantly over the next few weeks going into the months and years, quite possibly. But I think for me the biggest, the biggest part about this ruling is the precedence that it set. And even beyond, you know, e-hailing and beyond driving, and just from, just from a... A, a temporary worker perspective, you know, um, it, it it just really blows it open and possibly uh, as it raises a lot of questions around contractors, uh, temporary workers, and whether or not they should actually be declared and classified as full employees. I think this 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 judgment is going to have more impact 
um, for, for, for years to come to, to, to many other industries and quite possibly many other countries outside of the UK. Mm-hmm. And I guess th- that would have been my next question, uh, Bandil. I mean, the implications of this in many of the jurisdictions where already there are core challenges on this particular one. I mean, we spoke to you know, a, a class lawsuit firm from the US, uh, or sorry, from mm. the UK, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, which was saying they're already starting to organize drivers to do something similar here in South Africa. What implications, if any, I mean, would a judgment like this and even the attendant actions have on uh, jurisdictions, uh, of course, which would include South Africa as well? I think I think it's going to have a significant impact. Of course, laws differ and countries differ, but I think it's going to have significant impact and the precedent has been sought uh, has been set you know and i think what we're going to see is a lot more of these class action lawsuits coming through uh with with a lot of workers you know and and and, and, and sort of relying on this judgment that was made in the uk and quite possibly i mean whether or not you can then argue and use that as a as a, as a precedent or as a, as a reference in in in, in your country is going to be a different um a different different conversation altogether mm. but it definitely is going to set in motion a lot more of this class action lawsuit and i think over the last few years we've been seeing a lot more of this class class action lawsuit even beyond the e-hailing industry you know the mining industry has been one and i think we, we, we're going towards a period where a lot of this is going to start coming up you know and we're going to see a lot more of this class action lawsuit but definitely uh, precedent has been set and um, I, I, I definitely anticipate that in a lot more in a lot more countries, we're going to begin to see more and more of these class action lawsuits. And I think Uber at this moment, I mean, if I was sitting as an exec there, mm. I'd definitely be having a lot of headaches and just really thinking through how do we proactively solve some of these things and um, make sure that it doesn't go the route of a class action lawsuit. But one of my worries is that as the Uber model changes, I think what we're going to see is um, some of these costs are going to be prior passed on to the consumer so i think from a consumer perspective we might be seeing some 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 increases with regards to the fares of, of, of uber it will it will really change a lot mm. you know i think the, the precedent has been set and um, the implications are going to be felt and seen way beyond the borders of the uk and way beyond sure. just 2021 i believe yeah and i guess we've never really had the true conversation about uh, the real implied and true costs of very cheap transportation uh, I mean, effectively, what you have here is a system uh, that doesn't operate with any meaningful subsidy, but is still able to really, um, you know, depress and keep low the costs of transportation. And uh, I guess at a time where we're talking about, you know, climate change and many of the other costs that, uh, you know, the system externalizes to the planet, to people, uh, I think it's it's about time consumers even have that conversation among themselves. Uh, you know, to say, even when you are paying that seven rand a kilometer, for instance, mm, you weren't really the paying cost? the true cost of providing the service because some of those costs, unfortunately, were being shifted on to some of the drivers. Yeah, that's 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 definitely true. And I think in the South African context, right, there's also this angle of, um, you know, there's transport laws. If you particularly look at the, the, the public transport space where metered taxis, where taxi drive or normal taxis mm. uh, uh, um, have to have certain ranks, have to have certain routes, and then you've got an Uber coming in that doesn't have that. You know, there's all of those things that you need to consider that, you know, as much as we're paying lower fees, uh, lower fares for, with regards to our transportation, but what's the true cost in terms of what, mm. what's the impact on the other industries within the transport sector? You know, I think I think it, 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 it's a needed conversation, you know, and, you, and, you, and as you rightly pointed out, there, you know, issues around the climate 
climate changes and and and, and with increased cars on the road, you know, the, the the Uber model in South Africa became sort of a the easiest business for people to get into. You know, anyone with excess cash simply acquired a vehicle and was able to put it on the road. So I think it's a broader conversation that needs to be had. But I think the immediate implications with Uber will be felt, I think, almost immediately. Mm. And uh, they're going to have to be rethinking a lot of these things and um, maybe then try and proactively resolve some of these issues. But for me, significant, significant judgment, and uh, it's going to set in motion a lot of, a lot of things, and Uber, I, I, I can definitely imagine the executives there are having a headache mm. at this point. Mm. Definitely, definitely, because I mean, this is what they want to avoid, not yeah. just in the United Kingdom, which is a major European market for them, but uh, I guess in some of the other jurisdictions as well. Uh, let's shift back to our continent and uh, take a look at uh, the East African nation of Ethiopia. Uh, and many of our listeners would know, of course, the ongoing disputes there in the Tigray region between federal forces and the Tigray Liberation Front. Um, uh, and it seems, I guess, you know, uh, the war talk continues, if I can say that, Bundy. Yeah, it is, you know, and it's it's, it's quite sad, man, I had to think that, you know, in 2021, we still have some of the situations around mm. wars within, you know, the borders of Africa. Sure. You know, I mean, I mean, this thing dates back all the way to about 1991, where, where, where some of these territories were, were, were shifted hands, you know, there's been these wars going in. Of course, the prime minister coming out um, and, and, and ordering the, 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 the army to retaliate. Um, this is, of course, after those forces um, from the Tigri uh, ruling party had attacked mm. the military camp. You know, so I think for me, this is just a, a very sad story more than anything, you know, and, 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 and there's people's lives at hand here. Yeah. You know, there's reports coming out that people have been, you know, have been abducted, people have been murdered. You know, for me, it's just a really, really sad story. And again, probably then raises this question of the AU, uh, this question of the UN and the role that um, uh, other African countries have to play in in, in helping and then supporting other African countries. One, from an aid perspective and also from just resolving some of these political conflicts. You know, it's just this ongoing thing around um, power and leadership in, in, in Africa and these battles around who who presides over what, what region is under under what control you know really really just for me a really sad story mm. and um particularly because of the effect and the implication it has on normal citizens you know that are just trying to go about their days but um yeah ethiopia uh, the situation at ethiopia is not is not really looking good i mean it's it's really sad you know because that region of africa is so important in the mm. context of just entrepreneurship, you know, in terms of what the, the the work they've been doing on that front. So this, for me, is is, is just a very sad story. You know, Bandile, I mean, as you were talking, I guess, you know, two things come, come to me. The first one is that, you know, we had thought that territorial contests, so contests over space, contests mm. over territory would have you know, been something of the, of the 20th century, that we had resolved this, um, least of all here on the continent of Africa. But it's quite clear that we haven't. I mean, this is not unique to Ethiopia. You know, there's the uh, uh, Sahrawi people out in Western Sahara who still have their own struggle for liberation that continues. Um, and it makes one wonder, um, I guess, whether or not we've resolved this um, issue of the national question. I mean, uh, you see it coming up. Uh, and when I say that, uh, even from the perspective of ethnic contests that have followed elections in places like Kenya, um, and even, I guess, the territorial impasse between Egypt and Ethiopia, which uh, also has to do, uh, I guess, with the building of a dam uh, on the Nile um, and and some of those contests as well, which happen alongside this internal conflict in Ethiopia. So 
uh, it's quite clear, Bandile, that you know these aren't things of the past uh, in Labano mm. around territory mm. and, of course, around issues of national identity and the contestation of this idea of a nation state uh, or Ethiopia as a as a broad nation state. Yeah, I think I think you're quite right. You know, I think it's you you I mean, for 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 many years. I think we you we would have thought that listen. We're moving past some of these things, but I think at the core of all of these things, I just this issue around power and possibly quite economic power, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and 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 it speaks, it goes back to that, you know, because um, because ultimately these territorial battles, as much as the sort of this national pride, the definite ethnicities, I think for me at the core of it is just economic power mm. and certain groups and certain people wanting to either hold on to power or uh, overthrow certain 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 parties or governments mm-hmm. in this particular case. So I think it's it's probably something that is going to be ongoing for a number of years as 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 as, as long as sort of there's this underlying inequality as well as poverty that uh, that that is in, in in the continent. But I think for me it also raises a bigger question on the role of the AU, the role of the UN mm-hmm. in this particular countries and to what extent should other countries begin to get involved and how you know these regional interactions, how they come into effect in, in or come into play in these particular instances, you know. So I think for me it's it's a, it's a bit of a complicated one, but I definitely think it's something that we we, we need to be more alerted to and and, and seek to resolve because I mm. think with the number of, of of problems or challenges that we have, it's, it's one that has been relatively neglected sure. to a, to a certain extent yeah, yeah. but i think the impacts of it are so significant that it it potentially then means maybe at this point it needs to come back to the forefront of the conversations mm-hmm. that we're having because it really speaks to human rights it speaks to yeah, a lot of yeah. other factors and and i think for me it deserves more of, or more of attention as it's currently mm-hmm. getting now you know because we're always looking at the Middle East, we're always looking at Asia for some of these things, yet they are happening here in in, in, in Africa, yeah, exactly. and they're not getting the necessary attention that they should be getting. Yeah. For me, these this, this are significant things that need to be resolved, that need to be looked at, and key learnings are uh, taken from them as well. And I think mm. for even us as a country, we need to be, in South Africa, we need to be looking at some of these things mm. and identifying exactly. certain key learnings. We know we do come from a history where tribalism has been something that um, was in the country and also you know as we begin to have this conversation about land redistribution mm. perhaps these mm. are some of the implications we might begin exactly. to see so i think exactly. it's important that we don't just uh, ignore all of those things you know, because it's always easy to say it's happening far it's not affecting mm. me but there are decisions that we are taking that might quite sure. possibly take us down that route as exactly. well so i exactly. think for me it's definitely something that needs more attention from all african states and all african leaders and again you know i'll point back and i'll put the responsibility as well on the au to say what is the au doing what mm. role do they have mm. and, and 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 then extend it of course to the un but quite a significant and an important um, um conflicts to be able to resolve because some sure. of these can easily spread you know yeah. you can have one region and before you know it it's it, it spread mm. into other countries it's spread into other regions and it and once that happens it becomes very very difficult sure, to then sure. control and restore peace and order in those countries mm. so for me significant one that and it's not getting the attention that it's supposed yeah, to be getting yeah. and i hope um uh, as we see these developments now it, it's something that's going to come uh, back to the forefront of some of the conversations we're having. You know, Bandil, I mean, just, just as you're making that comment, I mean, uh, South Africa should really be uh, in tune with some of these debates, especially with the uneasy 
sort of quasi-federal system that we have here, which um, often has people saying, ah, we're going to secede from the country, we're going to do this, 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 mm. and the other. Mm. Um, and I guess the last maybe comment before I let you go, Bandile, is to maybe think about you know Ethiopia uh, as one of the places where colonialism never really took root in Africa. Now, Singoba Anitina, who were divided by so many other mm. things over and above tribalism, to think that this is something that couldn't potentially happen here. I mean, these guys were never colonized, and yet... They continue to deal with, uh, you know, the burden of tribalism and uh, the national question in their own country. But Mdagamatandel, uh, do you have a good evening going forward? You too, my brother. Bandile Matandela, market analyst, joining us there for our wrap of the top business stories.